0: Chapter 17. I have always been here before. How about today, she would ask. Not today, baby. Every day started the same, the same question followed by the same answer. The exchange was our mantra, a promise we made and kept daily. My end of the bargain was that one day I would help her, but not today. If she were on tour, she would call from a hotel room. From Chicago, from Toronto, from Cleveland. The vagueness absolving any fear of scrutiny from bandmates, friends, family. After that, we could both rest easy, knowing there would be at least 24 hours of deadly, serious, pinky swear assurance that both of us would awake the next day to address the issue all over again. How about today? Not today, kitten. She didn't really need my permission, of course. It helped her feel less alone, less insane, to have me set the guidelines. She called me M, or Master, like Jeannie used to call Major Nelson. But in reality, I was the child and she was in charge. She trusted me to know when it would finally be too much for her to take, and I pretended to not know how unfair this was. If the circumstances of her life were fine, but the distortion was bad, my answer was not today, because I knew the distortion would pass. If the circumstances were bad, my answer would still be not today, because no thing could claim her life and not be an insult to her. Was I going to say today was the day because the label were being dicks? Because the voices in her head voted unanimously that the time was now? Because some frat boy had besmirched your choice of outfit? Was I finally going to nod in agreement with her because I didn't know the answer. But I did know how to buy time. How to hopelessly hold out and hold on. Waiting for a breakthrough, a new pill, a new therapist, a revelation. It was not a morosely approached daily chore. It was our little secret. Sometimes, words weren't even necessary. She would nod her head, yes, 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 and I would shake my head, no, no, no. We hadn't done it yesterday. She'd just woken up and asked me what I was doing, and I said, cooking breakfast. She hadn't yet asked me about the day's possibility, and I hadn't considered and rejected the day and called her sugar. How about today? You can't do that, sir. I was dabbing her lips with a moist washcloth I had found in the tiny bathroom her room shared with the patients next door. There was no water on the table next to her bed, just a small dusty vase with a faded plastic flower in it. Sorry, her lips are dry and cracked. I didn't think it would be a problem, I said to the large lady in the white uniform. No, that, she pointed to the restraints i had undone a few minutes before. I really don't think that's necessary, ma'am. I don't want her to wake up like that. My words fell on deaf ears, and she went about the business of strapping her back to the bed. She was a real handful, fella. We had to move poor Miss Gosnell down the hall till we could calm her down, she said, pointing to the empty, unmade bed across the room. She doesn't want to set foot in this room again, which means I got to gather her personal belongings. If by calm her down, she meant render her unconscious, then job well done. Carrie hadn't moved a muscle since I'd gotten there. She'll have a roommate soon enough, though. You don't get your own room just because you're problematic. She waddled out the door with a brown paper bag full of Miss Gosnell's stuff. It was at this point I realized just how deep my issues with authority went. I suppose I'd had them all along, but you don't really consider something an issue if you don't give a fuck about the consequences. But here I was in the unfamiliar situation of trying to keep my snide remarks in check. I had never used the word bitch. It's just too easy. I'd like to think I could always come up with something a little more clever and hurtful. Using a... Go-to word like bitch just makes you lazy. But in this situation, I found myself struggling for something better. I was in enough trouble with Carrie that I didn't need to make anything worse. I knew the poor and uninsured didn't get a lot of compassion in any hospital setting, and the poor and uninsured in the middle of a psychotic episode get even less. Replace the excuse of psychotic with really, really pissed at her boyfriend. And she wouldn't get any compassion at all I sat at the foot of her bed in trouble in a way I couldn't remember being soon she would awaken and I would have to explain myself if I told her the truth that I had been selfish and scared it would break her heart the deal was that I was supposed to be strong when she was crumbling when the distortion gripped her so hard that all she yearned for was a sharp object to take away the pain i was supposed to be the one person she could count on to turn my back and let her go the day would come when my love my arms and rocky's voice would never be enough and all i had to do was not pick up the phone i had told many lies to her before but i had never broken a promise Now, I had set her free only to have her brought back by the adrenaline needle of an emergency medical technician. I had failed her, and though I could rationalize what I did in many ways, the truth was, I wasn't ready for her to go yet. I've narrowed it down to three different options, she announced. Oh yeah? I was watching television, not really listening. She stood in front of the screen to get my attention. She had a yellow legal pad and pencil in her hands. She was only wearing red panties and her reading glasses. She had my attention. First off, jumping off the space needle would be a logistical nightmare, and besides, it's too corny. She scratched it off her list. I nodded my head in agreement. And slashing your wrists is so unladylike. Loser move, I agreed. Maybe I didn't quite understand the logic. "'but I didn't tell her that. "'Jumping off a bridge is sexy, "'but what if some poor kid finds my body "'a few miles away in the lake? "'That could be traumatizing. "'Aren't you, sweet? Two out of the three I like would require me to lose weight. "'Lose weight? "'You barely weigh a 100 pounds,' I laughed. "'No, since I grew boobs and hips this year, "'I'm up to 110, 112 pounds,' she protested. "'They are a nice addition.' She looked at me and raised an eyebrow. Anyway, she said in the elongated way that indicated she was ignoring the last thing I said. I'm going to have to lose 20 if I'm going to hang myself by any of these lighting fixtures or that pipe running across the ceiling of the bathroom. As she spoke, she pointed out the questionable gallows with her pencil and put the legal pad to her side. I really had no choice but to admire the new additions she had spoken of only seconds before. Listen to me, she shouted, covering her tits with her notes. All right, all right, I'm listening. The trick to overdosing on pills is the body weight to alcohol to food to pill ratio. So the skinnier, the better. I read here, she pointed at a magazine on the floor with her big toe, that eating salting crackers makes it less likely that you would throw up. And I read here, she flipped through her notepad and pulled out a cutout newspaper article, that a successful sleeping pill overdose was done by drinking a bottle of rubbing alcohol last week. That's nasty. I'm drinking scotch. And the third option I inquired? How much does a gun cost? She asked. With bullets? Yes, with bullets. $5,000 with bullets? $5,100? I lied. Well, that's out then. It was 6 o'clock. Visiting hours were over. Being careful not to disturb her IV bag, I lay my head on her chest and listened to her heartbeat for a minute. She smelled like disinfectant and unfamiliar soap. I kissed her and brushed her hair from the bandage on her forehead, a little souvenir from head-butting the EMT. Good night, Princess. There was a different woman at the front desk when I was leaving. Hey there, I'm packing a bag for the patient in room 334 to bring back tomorrow, and I was wondering what I could bring besides PJs, cigarettes, and lipstick. No smoking, she said, handing me a pamphlet without looking up from her paperwork. Thank you, dear. Be nice, be nice, be nice, I thought to myself as I turned to leave. I wanted to add, this will be very helpful, but I knew I could never pull it off without sarcasm even if I didn't desperately need to get a couple hours sleep before work. Hold up, she waved me back, looking at her clipboard over her glasses. Miss Finch won't be here tomorrow. As soon as she wakes up, she'll be transferred to the psychiatric ward over at Harborview. Psych ward? Why? Says here, attempted suicide. She's one of Dr. Baskaran's, so off to Harborview. No, ma'am, it was an accidental overdose. Says here attempted suicide. She showed me the clipboard and tapped each syllable of the words with her pen as she repeated them back to me. Keeping in mind that something about my very presence, perhaps my voice itself, seemed to disturb normal people. I cleared my throat and gathered my most civil baritone. May I call here in the morning and see where she is? I asked in the most honey-coated cadence I could muster. The number is on the pamphlet, she fired back. If you have any room left in your little black book, I want you to write my father's number in there, she once told me, handing me a scrap of paper with his phone number and address on it. When it happens, I want you to call him. He's an old man, and it's going to be hard on him. I know you can be sweet, Charlie. And Charlie, she said, her eyes suddenly holding tears, You are to burn my journals before he sees them, before anyone sees them. Promise me. I swear to God, Pumpkin, I said, putting my hand over my heart. I'm serious, she said, poking her finger in my chest. I held her look. I know you are, I said. He had done everything he could think of. She had been analyzed, tested, probed, and prayed over. Time that should have been spent skipping rope and taking swimming lessons was spent on psychiatrists' couches and inside MRI machines. When her mother found turpentine and a can of roach-proof in her Partridge family lunchbox, Carrie was sent off to Bible camp, where she learned how to make rope in lanyard class and how to tie it into a noose in rock climbing class. They sent her to a place in Houston for troubled teens. They sent her to a guy in New Mexico who waved giant magnets around her head. They tried Western medicine. They tried Eastern medicine. They tried everything short of exorcism. All he knew for sure, sitting in his lazy boy recliner, flipping through her baby pictures in the family photo album, was that as long as he heard her practicing in her room, everything would be fine. I wasn't on a first-name basis with the word grateful then. So I walked the three blocks home from the hospital naming the things in my life that were not totally and completely fucked. I didn't have to make that phone call. That was not totally and completely fucked. I wasn't in jail. That was not totally and completely fucked. I was glad to have another chance, an opportunity to right all the havoc I had been causing. That was not totally and completely fucked. Carrie was still alive. I could say that without clarification.